Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, before we get started, I want you to know I had three different people tell me that there was something going on with my mic. Like there was a uh, buzzing sound or static or something in the background. So I went ahead, I got a new microphone. I'm, I'm hoping this fixes whatever problem you all heard. And please let me know if it persists. And here we go. The Whiskey Mistress, and it's a show. She Hi, this is Debbie Showcare on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? talking about the steps of whiskey production and so far we've covered mashing and fermenting the first two steps let's go on today and talk about step number three distilling now mashing used grain and water then fermentation brought yeast into the mix grain water yeast those are the first three elements of whiskey so this next step distilling this is pretty amazing There's something to consider here. Beer, which is also made from grain, well, it came along as a sidekick to agricultural society. And fermentation was a relatively easy step, beginning with the first happy accidents of wild yeast landing on the right group of soggy grains at just the right moment. Whiskey, on the other hand, well, that requires something else in addition something with a very specific intentional objective, distillation. One of the first mentions we have of distillation comes to us from an Arabic alchemist who lived in the 10th century, but the Chinese were using Alembic stills for making perfume. And what we had was Irish monks in China. No, it's not the beginning of a bad joke. The way it used to work back in the day, well, the monks would travel these long distances and live among a population and minister to them. And at the same time, they would absorb their culture and advances. And then when they traveled back to their home monasteries, they'd bring all this newfound knowledge with them. It's one of the reasons the monks were so important to the spread of knowledge in those days. So we had Irish monks in China. They saw the Chinese making perfume with these things, and they said, Why, that's a nifty contraption. Let's take one of those home then, shall we? And so they did. And they found a much better use for it. And what they made, they called Wushki Beha, which translates from the ancient Gaelic to water of life. And through the centuries, we've just corrupted the term Wushki Beha down to whiskey but they drank it right from the still. It was colorless, it was harsh. They were basically drinking moonshine. And then they discovered quite by accident. Did you know that all of alcohol is basically an accident? Well, they discovered quite by accident that if you leave it in a dirty old barrel for a couple of years, it's a whole lot better. You see, distillation, it's based on the fact that nearly every liquid will boil at slightly different temperatures. And this means that as the fermented mash inside the still begins to heat up, the liquids with the lowest boiling points will boil and evaporate off first. Those are called foreshots or heads. And those generally are not good, Mm, toxic. 
the low boiling point compounds that come out of the still first generally contain acetones, methanol, various asters and esters, aldehydes, and other volatiles. But, but then comes the heart. Oh yeah, that's the good stuff. The heart of the distillation is the best part. That's when the ethyl alcohol and some lovely aromatic compounds are coming out of the still. It takes a really skillful distiller to know when the head of the distillate ends and the good heart begins. And again, to distinguish the end of the heart in the beginning of the tails. Uh, the tails? Ah, it's the tail end of the distillation. And the tails, or feints, F-E-I-N-T-S, can contain oily, fatty substances. They may contain flavor, but they can be quite unpleasant and they're usually discarded. But some distilleries actually add the heads and tails to the next batch, sort of recycling it. Well, sure, there's some horrible, disgusting components to them, but there's also still a fair amount of distillable ethanol, good alcohol, along with some possibly good flavor components. Actually, quite a few of the Scotch distilleries are in the habit of recycling the tails for the reason of ultimately retaining good flavor. Hey, here's something fun. Brandy is to wine as whiskey is to beer. You see, brandy is distilled wine and whiskey at its most basic is distilled beer. In fact, you'll often hear me refer to beer as, air quotes, baby whiskey. And I'm not just being cute about it. I'm being very cute about it, but I'm not just being cute about it. Some craft distillers are using beer, good beer, as their starting point in distilling good whiskey. Hmm, and now you know. We're coming up on Irish Happy Joy Day, also commonly called St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. You know, a few years ago, I was the general manager at a high-profile Irish pub in Santa Monica. I was there for like a minute. It was pretty amazing, and it was also one of the very worst jobs I've ever had. You have no idea what a restaurant manager contends with. Anyway, I happened to be there through at least one St. Patrick's Day, and it was, I mean, it was really weird. It was crazy. The party buses literally rolled up at 8 a.m., and it was just a drink fest all day long. Now, sure, it really was great business for the pub, but I, I wasn't really seeing a huge celebration of all things Irish, except for one cheerful lad who circled the pub every now and again with an Irish flag. He was pretty happy and obviously very Irish. Oh my goodness, it was a it was a crazy day. The fire department was on our case about capacity because we were habitually way over. And my boss was well, I'm just glad that I'm not there anymore. So, what is the celebration about anyway? And how can we best honor it in our own glass, in our own toast, celebrating what has become one of America's most drinky days of the year? St. Patrick, he was a real man. His death on March 17th in the 5th century, well, that's what we observe today. It happens to fall during the season of Lent, 
And on this day, March 17th, the traditional ban during Lent on eating meat and drinking alcohol are usually set aside. Hence the drinky binge, corned beef, bacon, and the general carousing we now see. But you want to know a secret? St. Patrick wasn't Irish and his name wasn't Patrick. Well, at least not originally. He was born Maywin Succot in Roman Britain in the fourth century. And among other names he would later use, much later, was Patricius. And that's where we get the moniker we use now. Air quotes, Patrick. His father was a bigwig in the early Christian church, but Maywin Succot, okay, fine, I'll call him Patrick to make things easier. Patrick wasn't a part of it. He wasn't having any part of it, not at all. But uh, being captured and enslaved by Irish pirates will have an effect on nearly anyone. And so it was with young Patrick, age 16, captured, enslaved. He worked as a shepherd for his captors. He learned Irish culture, Irish language. And here in the lonely fields, all by himself, he began to embrace the Christian faith. Well, about six years later, when Patrick ran away trying to escape his Irish captors, he was recaptured by the French. And before his eventual release, he learned about monasteries and the priesthood. And then back home in Britain, he continued his Christian journey and was said to have had a vision that instructed him to minister to the Irish. And so he did. St. Patrick, who, by the way, was never actually canonized, but considered a saint sort of by popular sanction back then, well, he seemed to have a, a real gift of communication. And he used his understanding of common Irish culture and traditions to urge conversion to the Christian faith, as well as to encourage the Christians already living in Ireland. He explained the Holy Trinity using the shamrock, which is now one of the most commonly used symbols of St. Patrick's Day. He celebrated Easter with bonfires because he knew the native pagans honored their deities with fire, and it would feel familiar and be appealing to them. He even created the Celtic cross by overlapping the image of the sun over the Christian cross. So again, the Irish would find the symbol more appealing. You know, he must have been tremendously charismatic. He's credited with doing great works in Ireland where eventually he died at 80 something years old. And St. Patrick's Day, it began to be a yearly celebration of the life and times of Patrick, by now the de facto patron saint of Ireland. And this feasty celebration was brought over to America with the Irish immigrants, where it grew into way more than really just a celebration of the saint himself. It became a, a wonderful celebration of the Irish, of the people, of the culture, of the food, and and of the strong family bonds that continue to instill Irish pride today. Wear green, eat Irish, drink Irish, smile. And 
let me suggest an Irish whiskey for you. <laughs> One of my very favorite and widely available Irish whiskeys is Bushmills 16 year single malt. It's just amazing. The Irish whiskeys, they tend to be exceptionally smooth and the Bush 16 is amazingly flavorful to boot. Uh, Bushmills was actually first licensed to distill in 1608 and that makes it the world's oldest licensed distillery. The Bush 16, it's made from malted barley and they age it in a combination of used bourbon barrels and Oloroso sherry casks before finishing it off in port wine pipes. Pipes, uh, port wine pipes, those are the, the very large barrels used in the making of port wine. So the flavor and the finish on Bush 16 are truly lovely. Loads of fruit, a little nuttiness. Remember to hold it in your mouth for four or five seconds before you swallow it. That is rule number one to enjoying whiskey. And if you pay very close attention, just before the finish completely dissipates, you suddenly get the very distinct flavor of dried cherries. It's just marvelous. Like I said, Bush 16. It's a wee bit pricey coming in at about $95 to $100, but if it's St. Patrick's Day and you're looking for a little Irish whiskey adventure, if you can, do it. You won't regret it and I suspect you'll tell me you found a new favorite. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, by the way, St. Patrick did not actually drive the snakes out of Ireland. They probably never had them to begin with. In fact, the reason I actually began researching for this segment about St. Patrick, besides the obvious proximity to St. Patrick's Day, is a news article I saw in the Washington Post. The headline read, Ireland reports the first venomous snake bite in its history right before St. Patrick's Day. And that just sounded crazy to me. It seems there was a 22-year-old man in Dublin who was hospitalized after being bitten by a snake. It was the first venomous snake bite reported in Irish history. And it was just just a few weeks before St. Patrick's Day. And this, this, is, this was this guy's pet. So even though legend has it that St. Patrick drove the snakes from Ireland more than 1,500 years ago, uh, people can still import them, even the venomous one, as pets? Come on. That's stupid, isn't it? Hey, happy St. Patrick's Day, my friends. Be safe. Stay well. And here's an Irish toast for the occasion. As you hold your drink high, looking at the friends surrounding you, please say this. There are good ships and wood ships that sail across the seas. But the best ships are friendships, and may it ever be. Happy St. Patrick's Day, my friends. Hey, I've got something really exciting I wanted to tell you about. I'm going to be at the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Woodland Hills, California on Thursday, March 26th. They're having a 
four-course dinner there featuring two of the High West whiskeys, the uh, American Prairie Bourbon, and I think the Double Rye is the other one they're going to do, um, along with two Prisoner Wines. It's a, it's a four-course dinner. I've spoken with the chef over there. He, he's getting really creative, and it looks like a wonderful, wonderful time, and I would love to see you there. Um, if this is something you would be interested in, please make sure that you call in advance and make a reservation over at the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Woodland Hills. It's, um, it's right there, it's right there, uh, right the promenade, the old promenade mall, right there on the back side of it. And again, it's a four course dinner. It's only $85 a person. That's an amazing, amazing value given uh, the quality of cuisine that comes out of that kitchen. Um, it looks like the first course is going to be marinated chicken with smoked pork belly. The second course is roasted kabocha squash salad. The third one is prime beef stuffed cabbage and oh, then comes a filet with espresso barbecue butter. Followed, of course, by a delicious dessert. Strawberry cheesecake with chocolate almond bar. You can't get any better than that. Uh, Ruth's Chris has been very good to me. And um, if you'd like to make a reservation over there, just give them a call at 818-227-9505. You should probably ask for Nicole. I believe she's the banquet and special events manager over there. Again, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be your host. I'm going to be your speaker. I would love to meet you. I would love to share this event with you. So please hop on board and join me on Thursday, March 26th at 6.30 at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Woodland Hills. I hope I see you there. Thanks for listening. Join me next week on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress right here on the Believe Podcast Network. The Whiskey Mistress, and it's a show. She knows about whiskey and stuff, you know. So don't miss this mistress's show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.